Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there. Are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. You have to have a deep understanding of the path of purchase in the different markets that you operate in, because ultimately you can't have one path of purchase that scales across all of them. So you have to have a deeper understanding of where are the digital and offline touch points that have an influence towards the sale, the product category that you're operating in. And I think a repositioning of retail media outside of one click, one sale is really important. And to reframe what good looks like and to think about other metrics, engagement, that sort of thing, will have a real benefit. And it makes it much easier to sell internally. If you're using the same language as you would to describe a, a social media campaign or even an offline campaign, then it does tend to resonate. Welcome to today's episode of Brave Commerce. I'm Rachel Tippograph, the founder and CEO of Micmac. I'm Sarah Hofsetter, president of Profitero. And this is a show that talks about what's relevant in e-commerce for the world's biggest brands. There isn't a meeting that goes by that I participate in where a customer or prospect, which is a brand executive on the other side, doesn't start asking me about retail media and how much they should be spending between traditional brand media versus retail media. Sarah, does this come up for you? Hey, it comes up often, always. It does take me back to conversations that we would have about above the line, below the line, digital, traditional, or just a few years ago, which I think is probably the 1.0 version of what you're saying, brand versus performance, which I have to say is just BS. I hate that conversation. And I hate that we have to have this conversation still here today. Sorry, I would go on a soapbox, but like, man, this is your baby. I totally hear you on that point. But the dynamics with retail media are just very different for brand manufacturers. It's really not even about how does this media perform? It's really about their contractual obligations to retailers. Retailers are putting a lot of pressure on them to help them grow their retail media business year over year. And so what 
I'm seeing in market right now is that brand manufacturers are struggling with retail media because to buy retail media is not to just buy media by itself, right? They have to spend money on slotting fees, on traditional trade agreements, traditional shopper marketing agreements, sometimes even data agreements. And then retail media goes on top of that. And so when they think about retail media, they bundle all of those costs together. And then it's really hard for them to look at retail media and say that it's actually driving profitable growth when there's so many other built-in costs. It's two sides of a similar coin. One is what's the total cost to serve the retailer? Listing out all the different things that you just said in your checkboxes, right? Trade, slotting, shopper, all of that other stuff. And then there's the whole idea of the fact that today we still cannot connect the dots directly in many ways between researching online and buying offline. And the fact that retail media, social commerce, many of these other mechanisms are only measured through the lens of how close is that to the conversion, but you're not thinking about it as a mechanism in your consideration phase or even in your discovery phase. And it's just such a perpetual miss. And it's normal, but it's only normal because this is the way we've seen other technologies evolve as part of the marketing mix, but it is frustrating that it requires such a tremendous opportunity to take that common sense approach of what would happen if you were making in particular a considered purchase. If you're buying a holiday gift for somebody, you may do your research online and never convert until you get to the store because there's a tactile element to it because you're too close and you're afraid of the shipping deadlines. But why can't you get that assist from retail media? Why can't you get that assist from social commerce? Well, I'm very excited for us to bring two minds that live across the pond onto the show because so much of the conversation that we've had been having around retail media and digitally influenced sales has been very US oriented. And now we're gonna get a global perspective from two Lego executives. So without further ado, let's bring them onto the show. So excited to have Kate Crowley, the head of B2B e-com marketing for Western Europe and Luke Sabir, the head of global e-commerce center of excellence at the Lego group. I mean, holy cow, you guys are the protectors, defenders, advancers of one of the most exciting brands in the world. In fact, before we even get into this, I want to give you guys a little story. So I have two kids, except they're not really kids. They're 21 and 23. And for Christmas, I mean, I'm Jewish, but we're off. For Christmas, they want to go to Legoland. That's how strong this brand is. And so I'm taking my kids in my 20s to Legoland because they feel such a tremendous affinity for the brand. The strength of brand plays such a critical role as it relates to commerce, but we've got economic questioning and we've got holiday season. What do you guys think shoppers want from brands during times of economic uncertainty? Well, first of all, thank you for inviting us on. It's really nice to meet both of you. And uh, really great to hear that you've got some fans in the family as well, Lego products. And first of all, from my side, I think it's important to acknowledge that there is shopper anxiety over inflation and the economy. And as a result, shoppers will be more considered about any spending. I know I am and people I am in my lives, we consider more around where we're going to make that purchase. So that environment then becomes highly competitive to win a shopper. So from an online perspective, I think shoppers' expectations are 
the traditional ones, the products are in stock. There's a strong value proposition. There's a broad range available. There's an engaging, inspiring, and personalized experience online, which I would argue that's all the basic fundamentals of, of e-com. But in addition, shoppers want to buy from brands that are aligned to their values. So what do they do within the community? What's the policy on social issues and sustainability? And I think in times of economic uncertainty, these shopper expectations are further exaggerated. So I believe that shoppers will be now less loyal to brands if those now high standards are not met. And I, yeah, I'm totally in support of that as well. I agree with, with Luke's comments that it is the fundamentals of e-commerce, but they become even more important in times like this when shoppers do feel the squeeze. And the point of loyalty is very important too, because if you're setting shoppers up with false promises and saying delivery times that you can't work towards, or perhaps even a product detail page that doesn't explain the product well, you're going to give a shopper a disappointing experience. And this is not the time to be disappointing shoppers on e-commerce or, or offline as well. Wait, 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 wait. When, when is it okay to disappoint a customer? <laughs> when everyone's got loads of money. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's never okay. And people are even less forgiving now, I would argue, because, yeah, they, they want to make the right choices, an informed choice. This is not the Lego Group study at all. It's, it's common knowledge, I believe, in the industry that shoppers are w- still willing to spend, but spend in what they would see as the right way. So to Luke's point buying products that, that align with their values from the right companies. If we can make it front and centre as brands or as retailers, what we offer and why it's important, then I believe that, yeah, shoppers can still be convinced to shop with us for the right reasons. Given how strong Lego's inroads are in e-commerce, do you feel today there are e-commerce experiences that brands are underutilizing? I have a real love for retail media. So I really believe this is an underutilized opportunity for brands, for advertisers, for retailers as well. I'm not going to claim that we're taking full advantage of it, but I wish that we and other brands can lean into this, really push retailers to offer amazing retail media platforms that surprise and delight shoppers, to use a very cliche term, but allow us to, as an industry, to showcase our product to shoppers that might not have otherwise discovered it. And I think this is a uh, a huge opportunity and sometimes a missed opportunity, particularly in markets that are slower to develop. But look at Asia and they are light years ahead. The US too, I'm over in Western Europe, praying that we can get the same kind of technology, the same kind of advancements as they see in the rest of the world. But yeah, I feel that there's a trick missed here and that if more people would invest in it, even though it would increase competition, so potentially inflate prices for myself, this is a selfless comment. There's a huge amount of value to be got from that. On the topic of retail media, I know so much of what you guys focus on is from a global and a European perspective. But in the US this year, the conversation is starting to change in the sense that for the first time ever, brands are putting retail media into their media mix model. And it's coming back and it's saying, hey, it it might not be as profitable as we think. Because unlike regular media, where you could just buy some Google AdWords or buy an ad through the Facebook ad manager. With retail media, there are all these additional costs that you have to pay in order to do business with retailers. So while it's very effective in terms of driving conversion, how do you guys think about the total cost to serve the retailer? And you could actually were talking about this earlier. There's a, a belief, not like in the industry, this again, this is not something that, that we as a company believe particularly, that e-commerce is easy. If you can't invest offline, put it online, you can get so much more for your money. But you're right, Rachel, that there is there's a lot of upfront cost. 
And sometimes you kind of have to swallow that to move forward and also work with retailers, because sometimes when retailers are striking out, they don't have the luxury of working across 50 of their, their competitors. They wouldn't be able to from a, an anti-competitive perspective, but they don't know what good looks like. They don't know what kind of costs they should be offering. And it's very possible to have a conversation with a retailer and say, that looks a little bit expensive based on our expectations and giving examples from other markets or other customers. So, yeah, it's it can be dauntingly expensive especially when you bake in those costs afterwards but I mean, I'd also argue that programmatic is like that as well like I worked at Google for years and there was a huge outcry when people realized how little of their CPM would actually reach the pockets of the publisher there's so many costs are hidden in I think in some channels they've become more public and it feels less secretive and retail media is moving towards that but yeah I, I totally take the point that when you factor into econometric modeling or MMM it does seem surprisingly expensive and also perhaps retail media shouldn't be judged in the same way as some of the other channels it's a uh, I don't think it's ever really going to come up well against the likes of tv so not to change the topic completely but yeah I think MMM needs a bit of a rethink for the 21st century well we love that type of topic here we did an episode a few months ago with the CMO of Kellogg's that was all about revolutionizing media mix modeling oh yeah I hope you can make changes (laughs) the one piece I would add to that and I think it's a watch out as we go into these times there's more of a, a focus in terms of the return in terms of the investment that we have. And I think companies will have a tendency in tougher economic times to reduce investment, cut budgets, and to narrow the focus on elements that deliver a higher commercial return. And I think that can be quite dangerous, especially as we understand the disproportionate share of influence online can have on discoverability and ultimately conversion to offline sales as well. So I think going into this, this period where actually in some categories, up to 80% of offline sales are also influenced by online, is that if we look at a period whereby we're potentially less investing into online spaces that are delivering high commercial return, it could actually have a heavier detrimental impact to overall commercial performance across other channels outside of online. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey there, podcast fam. Are you ready to break free from the social media rut? Hold on to your hatch because we've got just a thing for you. Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for leveling up your online presence. Whether you're a personal brand or a company, they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level. With Viral Growth, forget about those endless hours of video editing. They handle everything from brainstorming to polishing your content so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality. I think the role of the assist 
becomes one of the hardest things to talk through. And Luke, actually having both of you is extremely helpful on that because from a global perspective, the role of that digital assist for more, call it, you know, considered purchases like gifting or toys. I mean, I literally just had this experience last night. I bought a new couch that I did entirely offline. And then I was looking for a rug to go along with it. And I did all my research online, but then I needed to go into the store to feel it tactically. Mm. I went into the store. I bought the rug. I also bought Legos. <laughs> I also bought stuff for Thanksgiving. And I bought all this. Other. How do you guys think about, even when you're thinking about budgeting for things like retail media, like how do you think about making even the argument for it both? And I'd like to hear, Luke, your perspective from a global COE perspective, because you have to almost set the tone for markets that don't even have retail media as an option. And then Kate, obviously you've got tremendous experience and passion here. How do you think about communicating that, especially in markets that are more mature as it relates to retail media? I would say first thing is you have to have a deep understanding of the path to purchase in the different markets that you operate in, because ultimately you can't um, have one path to purchase that scales across all of them globally. So you have to have a deeper understanding of where the the digital and offline touch points that have an influence towards the sale, the the product category that you're operating in. So for us, it's about having a deep understanding of that from end to end, and then making the decisions in terms of where do we believe are the, the key influential moments that we need to make sure that we show up as the best possible way for our shoppers. And maybe Kate can talk a bit about how that looks in reality. My other passion alongside changing MMM is to have people internally at companies think differently about e-commerce. Because there is quite often a correct belief that e-commerce is so measurable. End-to-end, measure everything. It's all about driving sales. But I think as people shift into, to use your example, Sarah, of like either starting the research process online and moving offline or vice versa, so ROPO, which way, it's really important to think about e-commerce under different metrics and having a different way of gauging success. Because speaking from experience, I am far more tolerant of an offline customer spent taking a month to give me sales data than I am of Amazon's API delivering a data report a, a day late. We have a very high tolerance for offline media being what we might define as slow or perhaps you have to ask multiple times to get the same things. But when e-commerce performs like that, we write it off. If, for example, I can't get sales data just yet, I can measure traffic, I can measure other engagement metrics, therefore I won't do it. And I think a repositioning of retail media outside of one click, one sale is really important. And to reframe what good looks like and to think about other metrics, engagement, that sort of thing, will have a real benefit. And it makes it much easier to sell internally. If you're using the same language as you would to describe a, a social media campaign or even an offline campaign, then it does tend to resonate. It's just to loosen the expectation that e-commerce is so measurable and everything is easy and you put a dollar online and you get five back. It's just like that. Reframing that as a uh, more of, a, as you say, like an assist the process is super important. I love this. I didn't know this episode was going to turn into the retail media thought leadership show, but I love it. And I would love to go deeper if that's cool for a second. Please, yeah. How are you thinking about retail media moving more upper funnel? What's your perspective on retail media moving into programmatic, into social, into CTV? And do we feel we're going to reach a point where advertisers are paying for the same audience over and over and over in different channels? 
there is a real risk of that and trying to control for it is for far bigger brains that, than I possess. We haven't reached the limit of that yet. And there are huge opportunities, particularly, for example, if a retailer has a publisher network, the likes of Amazon, let's put them to one side. Of course they do. And then Walmart and they've got a huge network. But smaller ones and smaller markets can still have an audience layer to their retail media that's really beneficial. So for a UK example, we have a retailer called Argos, which is a big kind of box store. If you were able to tap into their connected TV audience and place a product there that you know resonates based on your, their first party data with the audience you wish to reach, that's more powerful than just doing a programmatic CTV buy without that that layer. So I do think that there's a lot of opportunity here. I'm torn on the upper funnel and if it's true upper funnel, because I may be speaking for a British person here, but I don't think anyone goes on a retailer first thing in the morning just to check what new products are there. It's not the same environment as a news website or YouTube or social media, but it does still have an upper funnel value, particularly if you're speaking to people outside of your category. So, for example, if you have a a product, to go back to Sarah's example, if you uh, have a rug that you know will go great with with a sofa or a chair of, of another type, to be able to reach people in that category is really important. He might not have thought they also need to purchase a rug to go with their, their new sofa purchase. So, yeah, there is a, there's loads of opportunity here. I'm a huge proponent of Amazon's entertainment ecosystem as well. It's a, it's a battle, I think, to convince advertisers, including the Lego group, Amazon is more than just a, a retailer. And to change that perspective has taken some time and it's not a novel to us at all, but it has worked to use Amazon's whole end to end. Like we've got some uh, an Amazon locker takeover at the moment. If you're in the UK, go to a local Morrison's, please visit one. So things like that are really exciting for a team that predominantly just used to do sponsored products or maybe sponsored display. So it's a huge untapped opportunity. There's more media dollars to unlock here if everyone, including myself as a retail media advocate, but our suppliers, our partners can talk to enough people in brands to convince them that this is an opportunity and it's not just about trying to drive a sale from the first click. I always feel like media platforms get the contributions from the brands if they actually can articulate the benefit to those who actually have the money to spend. So I love what you're talking about as it relates to Amazon. So many of our clients, I know this is true with Rachel as well, we see our clients and like you've got the people that work on the sponsor product and they're like, lower funnel, pay-per-click performance oriented. And then you've got people that are doing the major takeovers with Amazon's, like you said, entertainment properties or Twitch or something else. And nobody's kind of bringing that fuller set on Amazon. We're starting to see similar things with a Tesco or an Argos or a Morrison's or a Carrefour, or in the States, we see it plenty because retail media is just like, you know, it's basically the new Messiah. So A, we've got a challenge here in that we've got to figure out how we condition the retailers on how to sell best to us as marketers. And if you're digital native, like a pure player like Amazon, you almost like need to train them. And when you're an Omni, you need to train them how to be like a media property. So that puts a lot of accountability on you. So you've got two sets of education you guys have to work on. You've got to educate the retailers on how to best sell like a media property. You've got to educate your internal stakeholders on what the opportunity is. And only you and your peers end up seeing this. That's a lot of fun and games. So Luke, as that global COE, how do you see your role in that bilateral education? I think it's a really important question because I think it all starts with an understanding of of the audiences that you you have and the passion points that that adhere to them and ultimately where do you play within the channel to, to best connect with them 
So I think it's that top level understanding, first of all, of, of who your shoppers are, who your consumers are, and what the passion points are. And then ultimately, it's about implementing them, right? I mean, you have to go to the to have discussions with the retailers to understand what is the capability behind that to then link in your overarching strategy to deliver against it. So then it comes back to a capability perspective. It's like, do you have internally the capability to address that entire um, area or do you need to outsource? And I think for me, that where it comes back to is that having an honest understanding within your organization of, of what are the capabilities that you already have what are the bits that you want to excel at and be your competitive advantage? So then what are the bits that you really want to make sure that beyond anything else, you're internalizing your building capabilities inside versus what are you outsourcing? There's a sort of a top-down approach to it by also balancing the nuances of where do you already have the skill set within the organization to deliver against it? I'm just getting to know you guys and already am huge fans. And so here's a fast way for us to get to know each other even better. Our famous last question, what's the bravest thing that both of you have ever done? Mine is is a fairly recent one, actually. So I was approached by the Lego Group in February of 2020. And if you remember, this was pre-pandemic. I was swept away by the hiring process of the Lego Group because everyone I spoke to was kinder and more excited and more in love with their job. It seemed like everyone was just really selling the values and the culture of the Lego Group. And I used to work at Google and I will give, I will not insult them in the slightest, but it's a very different culture coming from Google to the Lego group. And I, my heart was totally won over by this. So I accepted the offer when it came through eventually. I was very fortunate to get to receive that offer. And then uh, a week after I'd handed my notice in at Google, which was the day actually we went into lockdown in the UK, it was great timing. My desk remained unclaimed for two years, but I was part of an email chain that was requesting potential candidates for a a job that had opened up at one of Google's customers. And in the email, the person sending it, not thinking who the audience would be, said, who'd be dumb enough to leave their job at a time like this? And I replied saying, I would. It was very awkward. But people said to me, you're being an idiot. You're leaving a a massive tech company that is absolutely going to succeed and and keep going forever. And I think, yeah, the news today with Twitter a few days ago kind of shows actually that that belief is perhaps not as steadfast as it used to be. And I was told that I was an idiot, effectively, uh, to my face and behind my back. But it turned out to be the best thing I've ever done. And it, it felt right. So trusting my values and knowing that even though it could be a massive, it was a massive change from Google and perhaps also not the smartest move financially. It absolutely was the best move I've made in my life because it's, yeah, to find a company that aligns with your values is, for me, now the most important thing moving forward. Kate and I joined at the same time, so I can't use that example. But um, my example is uh, from a personal side. So pre-COVID, I went to Rwanda and I actually went traveling and, uh, and trekking through one of the jungles. And uh, I was charged by a silverback gorilla. So a gorilla came out and charged at me. I was thinking back to what was the guidance they gave me at that time. And the guidance was, whatever you do, don't run. So uh, the bravest thing I did was... So you ran? Yeah. Well, everyone around me ran. I turned around, everyone had gone. And I was there. Uh, so either the bravest or the uh, stupidest thing I've done is I stood still. And uh, I got a, uh, yeah, a face-to-face encounter with a silverback gorilla, which I think the video is also on YouTube somewhere as well. Well, that's my question. Do we get to ha- put that video as the accompaniment <laughs> to go along with that? Yeah. You can watch the video, but not the sound, because you'll hear me cry. Please. <laughs> 
Well, I love the diversity of the bravest things. You guys have been a tremendous pair. Thank you so much for joining us and for imparting your thoughts. Lots to unpack. I feel like your LinkedIn is going to blow up once this episode hits. So thank you. Thank you very much for having us. Thank you so much for having us. Great to talk. Well, that episode actually went totally off script. So Kate and Luke, we appreciate you just sparring with us. I love the conversation that we just had on retail media because Kate and Luke, they can see beyond ROAS. And that's where we see so many brand manufacturers get tripped up when they only look at retail media through the lens of return on ad spend. And it's amazing to hear how they think about building brands via retail media. If you enjoyed today's episode on retail media, highly suggest you continue your listening journey with us. Go find Charlie Chapel from Hershey's episode, where he dives deep into retail media, as well as Julie Bowerman from Kellogg's, her episode on media mix modeling. If you're loving what Sarah and I are doing, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, share on LinkedIn. We love you and our listenership. Hey there, podcast fam. Are you ready to break free from the social media rut? Hold on to your hatch because we've got just a thing for you. Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for leveling up your online presence. Whether you're a personal brand or a company, they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level. With Viral Growth, forget about those endless hours of video editing. They handle everything from brainstorming to polishing your content so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality. Hi, I'm Jackie Cooper, Global Chief Brand Officer at Edelman and the host of Touch of Truth, a new podcast launching on the Adweek Podcast Network. My dad gave me this incredibly smart piece of advice. Meet everyone once. As a result, I've met some of the most fascinating and inspiring people on the planet. Now on Touch of Truth, we're coming center stage and sharing the mic to experience stories of truth, insights and visions for the future that will challenge your way of thinking. Touch of Truth is available wherever you listen to podcasts. New episodes come out every Tuesday. I do hope to see you there.